Um, yeah, so if you haven't um, seen one yet, hopefully there's some flyers around. You can take it home, stick it on your, stick it on your fridge. If it's anything like our fridge, you'll have to like, remove all of the save-the-date magnets from pr previous weddings that we, um, and stick that on there. But that's, that's just a little glimpse of what we're doing for the next six or seven weeks. We're going to do a, a journey through the first seven chapters of the book of Daniel. Very, very briefly, for those of you who... Actually, wait, give me a wave if you've read the book of Daniel. Okay, so 50-50, that's good. And if you haven't, brilliant. You're about to have an opportunity to do so. So Daniel is set in the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish scriptures. It's a story where, where basically the people of Israel again and again and again turned their back on God and uh, rebelled against God in different ways. And he got so fed up of it, basically, he allowed a foreign power, the Babylonians, to come and, and completely ransack Israel, to wreck Jerusalem, to destroy their temple, hello, to destroy their temple, and then to drag them all off into captivity back to their homeland in Babylon. And so it was, a, it was like a massive crisis in the people of Israel. It was like about as bad as things could get. And so we're going to, and that's, that's when the book of Daniel is set. So we're going to, hello, so we're going to have a look at that together. It's time for the kids to go out. I don't know where, what's uh, the plan? All right. So those of us who are back, if, I, I can encourage you to grab a blue Bible, a house Bible from on your tables. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing together today, but we are, I just want you to have, a, have it in your hands and to know where we're, where we're going. It's page 883. So have a little look. It's just sometimes good to be able to locate it in your, in your Bible. Then when you're at home and you're reading your Bible, you can know where we're, where we're going. It's just after Ezekiel, if that's help, helpful. It's one of the prophetic books in the Bible. I don't know how many of you know of Tim Mackey. He's based in like northwestern US. He runs a thing called the Bible Project, and they do these very, very good overview videos. So if you're, if you're puzzled about the Bible, if you're like, oh, I don't know where to start, or oh, I think I'm going to read that, but I'd love an overview to get a kind of sense of what's going on, then I really recommend them. We're going to watch one together now. It's, it lasts about five minutes. Hopefully you'll be able to hear it, but it gives you a sense of what is going on in the book of Daniel. What is it all about? So let's see, and hopefully this will work and be clear and loud enough bit of a sense of what goes on in the book of Daniel what it's about there's loads of mad stuff in there there's loads of really fascinating stuff for you to get stuck into I really recommend you read the stuff at home like get get involved with the book of Daniel at home and just because the stories are absolutely fascinating um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a chapter a week so some of them are quite long so we're gonna have like a team of readers up here but Jill gallantly has agreed to read Daniel chapter one for us so it will be on the screen for you and uh, read along. And my invitation is just see what God might say through it. What, what do you notice? What sticks out to you? What do you think God is saying to us as a people? I think the theme of the whole series is, and that's the title of the series, is Daniel's God is our God. God hasn't changed. God isn't any different than he was then when he met Daniel in all these different ways. And so what can we learn as a 21st century church about this God that we read about in Daniel? So over to Jill. Thank you so much, Jill. Okay, so this is Daniel chapter 1, page 883 in the Blue Bibles. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than, other, than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Jill. Really appreciate that. That's quite an undertaking uh, with all those names. Um, so, the title of today's talk is The God Who Sees Our Stand. 
And that is the truth that I want you to take in today and to carry home with you and to know in your heart as you make decisions for God throughout the week to come. God sees it when we make a stand for him in our lives in what can seem very ordinary ways. So I want to try and look at the passage through the lens of three questions. And they might seem quite funny questions at first. Number one, how are you wired? Number two, how is your diet? And number three, are you in the world but not of the world? So first one, how are you wired? Have a look from verse three. It says, the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. And they were much like the young men here at St. Boniface Church. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among them uh, who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So Nebuchadnezzar wants the stars of this captured group the brightest ones, the most handsome, and he wants to disciple them in the Babylonian ways, to reprogram them, to rewire their brains and souls so that they would think and act like Babylonians. And then as a way of removing their Jewish identity from them, he even wants to rename them to give them a different identity. So he says, no, your name is not Daniel anymore. Now you shall be called Belteshazzar. And your friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, have decided that they're going to be called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And all of these names that he gave them were names of praise to his Babylonian gods. So that seems like a long way away from us. It's probably 4,000 years ago or something. But our culture, I think, tries to tell us who we are and what things we need and what we should value. Often it's done through the media and through advertising. Often it's ever so subtle. But you know that, I'm sure you've heard that story of the, the frog in the pan of water. That if you put a frog into a pan of boiling water, it immediately tries to get out, it leaps out. But if you put a frog in a pan of cold water and then you gradually heat the temperature, the frog doesn't notice, the frog doesn't freak out. It will just think, oh, this is the way things are, until suddenly it finds itself boiled alive. We do exist in certain cultural water, and we shouldn't be naive to it and to the way that it is affecting us and shaping us. So the question that the book of Daniel raises for us, I think, is where is our culture trying to train us and create our identities Where is it trying to tell us who we are and what we should think and how to shape us more than God's story does, more than the Father's word, his scripture, his Holy Spirit's work in our lives? And to change the analogy slightly, I don't want us to be frogs in in a pan. I want to suggest that we be more like salmon. So do we swim with the current of the river that we're currently in and just let it take us wherever we go, or do we swim against the current 
like a majestic salmon who swim up sometimes what feels like a waterfall against the flow of water to get back to their place of origin, the place of their birth, the place of their true identity and fruitfulness. A few weeks ago, I asked that question, and I want to ask it again, really. What is discipling us more as modern Christians? Is it the culture that we live within, or is it the God that we serve? So that first question, how are we wired? Or another way of putting it, what makes us tick? Second question, how is your diet? Verse 8 says this, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So Daniel refuses to break the Torah, the, the Jewish laws, by eating these forbidden foods. It seems like he knows that he can hear their ideas and learn their language and be able to debate and discuss with them, uh, but he draws the line at what he puts in his body. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, what you do with your body really matters. God made you whole, body, soul, and spirit, a unified creation. So what you eat and what you take into your body, how you choose to use your body and nourish it, is all part of your life seeking to honour God and live his way in this foreign land. I wonder how many of you have seen that Netflix documentary. Give me a little wave if you're familiar with this. It's on at the moment. One person. Okay, well, there's something for you all to go home and watch. It's fascinating. It's called You Are What You Eat. And they do this experiment with these twins where, um, well, I won't do any spoilers, but basically they have, a, they have many twins who are genetically exactly the same, identical twins, but they give them these different diets. And they look at how that impacts everything about them, their mood, their health, uh, the outlook, all this different stuff. It's fascinating. We're a bit obsessed with it in our house. Ha go and have a look. What we eat affects who we become and what we're like in such profound ways that actually science is only just really clicking onto it and dis we're discovering new things all the time. And of course, our mass producing of um, meat on these industrial scales is playing a big part in the way that we are wrecking the world around us that God gave us to steward. Anyway, I would really recommend this program. Daniel, all those thousands of years ago, seems to know that this is true. You are what you eat, or rather, what you, sh what you consume shapes you. And that's true for what we eat, but it's also true, I think, for what we listen to, what things we watch online, what we read, what we consume with our eyes in different ways. It could even be a pattern of thought that you notice in yourself that shapes you. It begins to form you. And so I wonder what it looks like for you and I this week in Lent as we seek to follow Jesus more and more deeply. I wonder what you're aware of in your life that is not good, but that is shaping you. It feeds you in different ways. It makes you think certain things. It makes you feel a certain way. But you know that these things aren't actually of God's best design and purpose for you. The question for us as disciples is, what are the things that lure us away from Jesus rather than towards him? And so this week, it's the beginning of Lent, I wonder what you feel called to say, right, I choose to not defile myself 
with that anymore. I'm cutting that out of my diet, as it were. I'm not literally talking about food, but about the things in your life that feed you and shape you. What is it you take in and take on that is forming who you're becoming that you know isn't of God? And the promise is, I think, that God sees our stand. God sees it when we take a stand for him in some way, where we say, I'm not going to do that anymore, or I'm gonna, I am going to start doing this, actually, instead of this. Where we make a stand for God in some way in our lives, he will see that and he will honour it. So Daniel says no. Daniel says the food from that royal Babylonian table, it would have been unclean by the Jewish kind of purity law. So Daniel chooses faithfulness to the Torah instead of going with the cultural expectations around him. As with Daniel, God will see our stand. Look at what he does for Daniel. It says, God caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel. And then they work together on it. The official explains that he is scared of the king. He will get his head chopped off if Daniel and his friends look all pasty and malnourished when they turn up at the king's table. And so Daniel humbly and wisely says to him, well, can we try it a different way? Can we just eat vegetables for 10 days and then, and then you can assess and think, is this okay? Is it working? And really, that's a miracle. Actually, the vegetarians amongst us will not be surprised. Uh, but actually, these young men are healthier and better nourished after having only eaten vegetables and drunk water for 10 days, they'd look much better than the others who had had all this exotic meat and fine wine from the king's table. God is with us in just the same way. When we seek to honour him with the choices that we make, he will bless that. And that takes us to our last question. Are you in the world, but not of the world? And I'm sure you've heard that expression before, that as Christians, we are to be in the world, planted here with people, but to not be of the world, to be in this society, but not shaped by the values of this society, but rather the Father's values. And I think Daniel shows us how to do that. So I don't know whether that struck you when we were reading that passage, but I think we too live in Babylon. It's a society of great excess, of many different gods and idols, of this gradual and seductive and subtle formation that it offers us to love comfort and convenience, perhaps to love money and things more than God. The water in the pan that we're in affects us in ways that we don't even realise, often until it's too late. As Christians, we know that our real home, our ultimate home, is in heaven, is in God's realm. But for these years, as it were, we live as foreigners in this world, in this land that doesn't acknowledge our God, usually. And that has all sorts of other gods and idols and authorities and identities that it would put on us. But Jesus makes it really clear, we are to stand for something different we are to be in this world, to take jobs, to live in neighbourhoods, to seek the blessing and the prosperity of everyone around us, to, to pray for our government, that they might govern well, but we represent a different kingdom. We are ambassadors living in this foreign land and we're to resist being formed by the world around us. Christians have always been 
and are always supposed to be deeply countercultural, and not in a, an aggressive and rude way, but in a determined but gentle and wise way to choose a different path.